Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and the strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both to one body, to God, through the cross, by having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built into the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for this miraculous gift of unity that you've instilled into the body of Christ. And Father, I pray that each of us would be committed to come into the true understanding of Jesus Christ so that the unity would only grow stronger and that the lost would see the true power of our saving gospel. And that, Father, their eyes would be open unto your salvation. And that, Father, they'd be overwhelmed by your presence. Father, we love you. May our love for you grow with every breath you grace us until that day that our faith becomes sight. Father, may we run without being entangled. But, Father, be looking for the glory of the Lord and the privilege of being his child. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Can okay, I bring you back up to speed again because we've been in this section for a while. I shared with you, it's a very simple statement and, and it, it's, it's kind of crazy to me that the church as a whole has forgotten it. Okay. It is amazing to me because I see a lot of Christians who know what they're supposed to do. Okay. This, these are things that a Christian is supposed to do. I'm going to pray without ceasing. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to X, Y, and Z. And this is what I'm supposed to do. But one of the things that has stunned me in, in my years is the fact we don't know who we are in Christ. And so I deal with people on a far too regular basis who are struggling to walk in something that they have no understanding in. Okay, it's, you know, we always talk about them crazy Jews and the Pharisees and all the rest of it. 
But you know what? They were doing what the Bible said to do. The problem is they never really understood what their position before God was. Once I understand that, then all the rest of it flows out. And if you go look at the Apostle Paul's writings, he always deals with that topic first that we call theology. This is who God is. Therefore. All right. See, we need to understand these things before we go try to live these things. Uh, have you ever seen them grouchy Christians? You know what I'm talking about? Their foreheads are all crinkled up and they're going to get you saved one way or the other. And you pray that whatever they got isn't contagious. Why? They do not understand their position. If I don't understand my position and all I'm doing is running around saying, okay, these are the do's and don'ts, then at some point you just get frustrated. That's what the Jews were doing at the time of Christ. These are the do's and don'ts. You do these things, then God will like you. I remember talking to a Muslim on a, one of my airplane trips, and I asked him, I said, well, do you, do you guys believe in sin? And he said, yeah, we believe in sin. And he said, that's what I'm doing. I was, I was going transferring through Dallas. And he says, I'm going to Dallas to sin. I was like, well, there you go. And I said, well, so what does Allah do about sin? He, oh, Allah don't like sin. Well, well, how do you get into his presence? Well, that's up to him. I said, well, he means it's up to him. He says, well, when I see him, if he likes me, he lets me in. If he doesn't, then I don't. And I was like, wow, that sounds like a blast. You just never know. Call it heads or tails. Did you make it? Oh, I'm sorry, man. And yet, that's how I see some in the church living. When we come together to church, okay, it is to help each other, okay, to help each other understand. Every one of you have the ability to help one another. What does it say? Because when you've got that down, then the Spirit of God empowers the Word in each of our lives. But I see people who are wanting the Holy Spirit to do something that they have no idea what the Holy Spirit is doing. This section that we are in is really needed to be understood. By every one of us. Okay, listen. This is not emotion. Alright? This is theology. And it is very detailed. And I wonder if we, we would, or we can, commit ourselves to understand it. Because too many of us know 4, 5, and 6. My children are to honor me. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for. My wife is to submit to me. That's what it says. I am to honor my employees. I am to honor my boss. We all understand that. But if you don't understand where you are in Christ, you're just going to be miserable. 
Because your wife is only going to tell you that you're going to need to love her like Christ loved the church. And when are you going to give yourself for her? And the husband's always going to look at her and say, when are you going to submit to me? And the kids are saying, I ain't honoring nobody. You guys are nuts. Okay? But you don't understand. You are absolutely unified in the person of Jesus Christ. That is instantaneous at the moment of your salvation. First three chapters basically are the position of all believers. It isn't the pastors. It isn't the deacons. It isn't the elders. It is if you're a born again child of God, that is your position in Jesus Christ. It is what every true believer already possesses. Okay. It is what is absolutely true about every one of us. Then chapters 4 through 6 is how we should act because of our position and what we possess. What do we look like? I shared in the Sunday school class, I've been getting into some conflicts over this uh, in the last couple of weeks. People, people say, well, I'm saved. I was like, well, how do you know you're saved? And then they just look at me. Well, you don't know my heart. And I said, nope, I don't. I don't know your heart. Okay, and you know what? I think that's good. Because nothing personal. I love you guys. I don't want to know your heart. Okay, I thought, wow, how depressing Jesus must have been to know everybody's heart that he's talking about. And he could just look at him and think, you know, I know what's coming out your mouth, but I know your heart. Okay, so I'm glad I don't know people's hearts. But you know what? I know the actions of your heart. Chapter 4, verse 1 starts off with an amazing word. Therefore. Why? Because of the last three chapters, therefore. Therefore. Because of who you are, therefore. This is how you live. Right now, we're talking about the true believer's identity. I, you know, I get into trouble with this. Um, when I read scripture, do you realize that every time you see somebody get saved, there's no question whether they're saved or not? Why do we question that now? Do you think it's changed? Listen, if a person comes into salvation with Jesus Christ, guess what? Everybody's going to notice it. And I don't care who it is. Why? Because all of a sudden they have peace with God. Therefore, they have the peace of God. You know what that means, right? What moves God's peace? What would make God worry? That's that peace. You know, you turn on the news and say, man, well, that, that's just really depressing. But you know what? My God's still driving the bus. And my God doesn't even need GPS. He knows exactly where he's going. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows when the sparrow falls, he knows the hairs of your head. Other than that, he's not in control. Do you see how silly that is? But see, when a person comes into the relationship with Jesus Christ and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, overwhelmed by His Word, guess what? Everybody notices it. 
And they're overwhelmed by it. And it's, well, what's wrong with you? Give the reason for the hope that is it's in you. But I look at some Christians, I'm like, well, I, that, that looks pretty hopeless to me. We must have a foundation of doctrine. We must have a foundation of theology. We must know who our God is. Who is he? You know what? You've heard a statement, and I made it this morning. God created us in his image, and man returned the favor. We created God in our image. And you know what? He ain't in our image. We must renew our minds. We must put in new operating system. Listen, each and every believer must live what is seen. What do people see? Is there a difference? Is there a difference between this believer and the world? Or are the same passions and desires of the world the same ones that is in that believer? Now, if that's true, Houston, you have a problem. Jesus Christ is not an eternal life insurance policy. You have been bought and paid for with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. If we don't have that down rock solid, we're being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Where we're at here in chapter 2 is we're right in the middle of a believer's identity. We must know these things because you can never live what you don't know. I mean, I can give you a bunch of rules and regulations. Don't do this, do this, don't do that. But you know what? He's telling you because of these first three chapters, this is why you do. Verse 16 here. He's saying the same thing again. Uh, it's just in another way. What does he say here? He might reconcile them both to one body by having put to death the enmity. Okay? When Christ died, he abolished something. Alright? He wiped it out. And he tells us what it was in verse 15. This barrier. This disunity. The biggest barrier that the Apostle Paul knew of his time was that between the Jew and the Gentile. Okay, now listen, I have watched some people try to tell me that what he abolished here, having put to death the enmity, he abolished the Ten Commandments. And I'm sitting there going, man, that's, that's, that's pretty crazy. Okay, he tells you what they were in verse 15, abolishing in his flesh the enmity. Okay, what was the enmity? Which is the law of the commandments... And contained in the ordinances. Okay? That's not the Ten Commandments. It's the ceremonial laws. It's in Judaism, and it's even today, you have all of these rules. It's, uh, I remember when I was in Jerusalem, it was on a Saturday. That's, that's the Sabbath. Okay? To a Jew, if they touch a Gentile on the Sabbath, they are unclean until the evening. 
So if Messiah shows up and a Jew has been touched by a Gentile, they're unclean before Messiah. If Messiah shows up. Okay. And you're not allowed to lift anything more than a, a, a fig leaf. Because that would be lifting a load. Okay. So nobody works on the Sabbath. Everything's closed. And if you're going to go somewhere, you have to walk. So everybody's out walking. All right. The city's packed. And I was on the outskirts of what is called the, the, the old city. I was on the outskirts of the old city. And you see these mothers and fathers out wandering around. And it's funny because you're not going to believe this, but I don't look Jewish. Okay, so everybody could see me in Jerusalem and say, that guy right there, that ain't no Jew. All right. But what was really cool is they were afraid to touch me. And it was like Moses parting the Red Sea. I could just walk around and just people would just move out of my way. And I, there was part of me wanted to just stick my arms out and walk around like this. Okay, even I thought, wow, let's start some kind of international incident. Better not do that. Because some of these guys, rabbis, are walking around with Uzis. And I'm like, you know, dude, don't want to make that guy mad. He's armed. Okay, these are the kinds of things. These are the rituals. And they still hold to them. They hold to the feast. They hold to the dietary laws. Uh, we went to a McDonald's in Jerusalem. Let me tell you something. Don't ever do that. Okay. You're not allowed to have dairy and meat. You know what that means? There's no such animal as a cheeseburger. And you can't have a milkshake. And I don't know where they're getting their meat from, but it's not McDonald's meat. Because I had one and said, God, that's awful. Okay, so, but I did go to a King David's burger stand. All right, and that was pretty good. We still couldn't get a cheeseburger. Why? Because that's the dietary laws. They don't dress the same. It's all that, what I call that Jewish stuff. When Christ died on that cross, he removed the enmity. He abolished all of that. Remember when Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law, I have come to fulfill it. You know what that means? All, if, if you go back, if you want to have fun, and it, and it is a blast, I've done this in the past, go back and look at all of the, the celebrations, all of the festivals, Yom Kippur, the Passover, go, just go back, uh, the, the, the Feast of Booths, all of those are pictures of Jesus Christ. Every one of them. All of them. That's what it is. And guess what? He fulfilled them. Verse 15 said, these law of commandments contained in the what? The ordinances. These are the things you're supposed to do. Have the Sabbath. Why? Set it apart unto the, to the Lord. Well, Jesus is called the Lord of the Sabbath. Okay? The Sabbath is a day of rest. Okay? But now he is the Lord of what? Rest. Okay, this has got nothing to do with God's moral law. Okay? 
God, God's moral law never changes. Do you realize that God's moral law was for your and my protection? God's moral law was not abolished at the crucifixion. Romans chapter 1 and 2, remember, God says His moral law was written on the heart of every man, woman, and child ever born or will be ever born. It's already there. That's why we call it, we get what we call it, right? Your conscience. Your conscience. You know, it's, it's, it is mind-numbing to me to watch people try to get around, keep it in the Ten Commandments. Go look at that and say, tell me what's wrong with that. What's wrong with those ten, those ten rules? And look at all the other stuff that we've put out there now. If we just stuck with the original ten, we'd be fine. But you know what? God gave us those because he said, you know what? You guys can't do this. The law is written on the heart of every human being. That is the essence of the Ten Commandment. And you can be summarized in Matthew 22. Jesus, they asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is what? You love your neighbor as yourself. In John's chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. Take the Ten Commandments. What's the essence of it? Love. 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 Okay, and it's not that icky sentimental love. You know, when boys and girls meet and they blink their eyes. And, I don't know, do they do that anymore? Maybe not. But Whatever. <laughs> but when you, you know, you're like, oh my, a little flutter, 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 flutter thing going on. That ain't love. Okay? I think it's a heart condition. No. <laughs> love says, I'm going to put your needs above mine. Love is a verb. It's an action. It is seen. That's what the Ten Commandments is, is love. God's moral law has never changed. The whole structure of the Ten Commandments is what? Love. Love. You know what? I tell people, I said, you know what? Jesus said that this was the greatest commandment and this is the second greatest commandment. I can make it easy on you. Do the first. You do the first, the second is automatic. Why? If I love the Lord my God with all my heart, so mind and strength, how can I not love his creatures? God has never changed his basis of morality. Okay, what was abolished at the crucifixion, what was abolished at the cross was the ceremonial things, the rituals, the traditions. Because those were the barriers between the Jew and the Gentile. I mean, no Gentile in his right mind is going to say, I'm not dressing like that. You can't make me. And what do you mean I can't have bacon? You guys are crazy. Did you know that Jew and Gentile could not even eat together? They can't. Couldn't. It was against the traditions and rituals. 
They were so different. They couldn't even eat together. They couldn't dress the same. They didn't have the same festivals. They're, I've never seen a religion that didn't have fasting. Okay? But the religious fastings of the Jews was completely different than the Gentiles. They were so different. That is, that is the external enmity that is spoken of here. It was divisive. And, and you can go through the book of Acts and see these guys struggling with it all the time. Even to the point that in Galatians, Paul confronted Peter because when there were no Jews around, he would sit around and eat with the Gentiles. When the Jews showed up, he would separate from the Gentiles. And Paul says, you can't do that. Judaism was a unique system. Absolutely. I mean, look at what we're reading in our Old Testament reading. Okay, that's the tabernacle. All right. Did you see he's got certain groups that carry certain parts of the tabernacle and nobody else is allowed to do it. That's amazing to me. That person, his group, they carry all of the coverings. This person, his group, carries all the poles. This group, oh, they got to carry all the sacred stuff. And remember, you've got the ark in there, right? Don't touch that. We've got rings on it. We'll ride a pole through there and we'll put four guys on it, one on each corner of the pole and you carry it. Because if you touch that, you're dead. And that happened. The Philistines stole it one time and it caused them so much grief they put it on a cart with a oxen dragging it up and this Jew seen it getting ready to fall over on the ground. He reached out and stopped and fell over dead. Okay? See? Yeah, it was unique. It was unique. But it was abolished. It's gone. You know, uh, I listen to all these people. Well, where's the Ark of the Covenant? And you hear all kind of, I heard it's down in Ethiopia and uh, whatever. I don't know where it's at. You know what? I don't think they do. But you know what? I don't understand why this is so complicated. The instructions on how to build the sucker is still in the Bible. Go make another one. This isn't that difficult. I mean, you guys did it once. Build another one. What's the big deal? Well, where is it at? But I, I hear it all the time. Listen, I want you to understand something. We do not need the symbols of Judaism back in Christianity. I don't need them. I have Christ. I have a fulfillment of the rituals. I have a fulfillment of the festivals. I have a fulfillment of the celebrations. We got rid of that at the cross. Now, listen. It is fun to see the fulfillment and to understand our history. It is part of our history. As Christians, you got to remember, the first church was 100% what? 
Jewish. <laughs> All right? So there's a history there. All right? And it's great to see some of that. I, I, I like it. I, I, I've got some books on the temple, and you just read it, and you just sit back at times, and you sit there and go, wow, that's kind of cool. He pulled that off. That's amazing. I mean, the detail, the, the three veils that hid the holy place, the holy of holies, I read what it took to weave that. I mean, do you realize that God says, this is how I want my veil to protect my holy place woven? And they said, they estimate that each veil was probably in excess of 300 pounds. Now, that's a big curtain. But you had three of them. Because you had to go through the one, and then it would close in behind you, and you go back through the next one, and it closed in behind you, and then you're in the Ark of the Covenant. Okay? And this thing, you know, you read this, and you back away from it, and you're like, wow, man. <laughs> who, who, who sat around it? And it had to be a certain color, a certain stitch pattern, and all this other stuff. And I'm sitting there going, wow, this, this is kind of like detailed. But it is all fulfilled in Christ. When those three veils ripped from top to bottom, he's saying, look, the access to the Holy of Holies, the access to the presence of God is open to all men. That's awesome. That's, you know, I I shared this last week. People want me to pray for things. They'll call me or they'll text me or whatever they do. We need you to pray about this. I don't have a red phone. I don't have a red phone to, to heaven. My communications with God is the same communications every one of you got. And, you know, and I, I've had people say, well, what if I pray something stupid? You will. I guarantee it. Why? I've, <laughs> I've heard my prayers. And I'm like, oh, sorry about that. <laughs> you know, that was the dumbest thing I've ever said in a while, huh? He said, nothing, five minutes. You know, well, what if I mess it up? You can't. You can't. Let me ask you a question. If you've got kids, when they were little, they'd come to ask you for something. Could they mess that up? No. It's the same thing when you go to God. Hey, I don't have any idea what your will is. Could you assist me? <laughs> Some way? Because I'm, I'm so sick and lumpy that I've got to have neon lights. Go here, go here, go here. Because I don't know what he wants me to do. You know, people say, well, I struggle with that being still and knowing I am Lord. I like staying still. Why? Right, I can't mess that up. <laughs> I just stand here. <laughs> if you want me to move, poke me. And he does. He sends me over to foreign countries right on. Can't even read the street signs. Listen, Judaism is done. I have several friends who are Jews. I have several friends who are practicing Jews. Okay? It's done. I feel sorry for them. And you know what? The Jews as a people are preserved. Judaism is over. 
Listen, the church is the center now. Okay, I'm not going to get into a lot of it, but you'll hear of the 70 weeks of Daniel. And they talk about the 69th week and then the 70th week. The 70th week is, is seven years, and that is what you know as the tribulation. It's, it's the last seven years of what you and I know as this era. But what we didn't know is that between the 69th week and the 70th week was a gap. And that's the church age. And once Paul told the Romans, when the fullness of the Gentiles is reached, guess what? He goes back and he deals with Israel that last seven years. Okay? That is the mystery the Apostle Paul keeps talking about. This was a mystery. Nobody's seen this. Nobody's seen this. You know, I told you I've had (laughs) encounters with Jews. I told you about my flight out this last trip. And I I made the comment that I was in uh, JFK Airport getting ready to go to Moscow. And uh, it was full of these Jews. And I mean, the the Orthodox, you know, the ones with the goofy looking hats and the curly things. And I couldn't figure out what. And they're all getting on my airplane. I'm saying, oh, man, this is. What are you guys all going to do? But they, during the flight, you'd see them get up and they'll put their little prayer thing around their, their waist and then they go stand in the corner and they said they were pointed toward Jerusalem and I was like, I still think we're flying north so you should be looking at the back of the plane. Anyway, but they, they, you'd see them over there doing this, just getting after it. And then they'd go sit down and the southern one come back up. He'd get, he'd get up doing this. And you know why they do that? I asked them. So they don't daydream. If you keep wobbling like this, you know what you're supposed to be doing. And I was like, well, <laughs> that's kind of weird. <laughs> but that's what they do. And you got to do it, I don't know how many times a day. And, and you sit and listen. But, you know, I, I made the comment. I said, because I was standing in line get, get, getting ready to get, you know, passport visas and all the rest of this stuff. And uh, I'm getting ready in line and I was looking at all these Jews and up on the balcony were all these armed National Guard guys. I'm like, well, they're protecting their Jews, I guess. I don't know. But I tried to ask him, I said, what was going on? And they didn't want to talk to me. You know why? <laughs> Gentile. I'm a Gentile. Do you understand that today... What you and I know as Judaism is as liberal as anything that exists. Did you know that? Orthodox Judaism has female rabbis. You want to show me where that's at in the Bible? That's Orthodox Judaism? And you got female rabbis. Didn't God say this? Don't, don't do that. Listen, you don't think so? When they have the Passover, it is supposed to be done by the priest. Okay? Who's the priest? Where is it? Show me the Levi. Oh, well, in 70 AD, 
All the temple records were destroyed along with the temple. So we don't know who, what tribe anybody's from. So we've concluded that the priest, the rabbi now, will be the father of the house. That's liberalism. You're doing it your way. Not the way God said. Okay? They don't do the sheep. You know what they use? For the, do you know what they use? I do. They use a chicken leg. That's kind of like a sheep. And that's what they use. It's a chicken leg. But you don't even cook it. Well, it's just a symbol. That's not what the Passover was. But in 70 AD, God gave Israel a sign. He destroyed the temple. By the hands of who? The Gentiles. And there's never been a sacrificial system in Judaism since that time to this very day. There's nobody offering up doves, pigeons, sheep, bulls, goats. It ain't there. Why? There's no place to do it. The records are gone. All the tribes... Who are the priests? Whoever it wants to be now. You guys are reading through numbers. What does it say? It doesn't sound like it's whoever wants to do it. The whole system is finished. That's why God wanted it. Because His church is the mystery of Jew and Gentile as one. Chapter 3, verse 6. Amazing. To be specific, that the Gentiles, now you know how hard this is going to be for a Pharisee of Pharisees to say. That the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Partakers of his promise. And it came to us by the Gospel. Who preached the gospel to us first? The Jews. The Jews. That's the church. That's the the new thing. It's never been anything like it before in creation. Chapter 2, verse 15 says, By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of the commandments and the ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one, New man, thus establishing peace. Made in himself, what? One new man, making peace. In himself. Okay, the word new there is not the word, it's not the word that you guys think of new. It's like, that's the new car smell. Or it's a, I got a new car or something like that. The word new here has absolutely nothing to do with time. All right? It's not uh, uh, like the last in line. Okay? The word in the original language is kenos. Kenos. Okay? You know what it means? It's new in quality. In quality. 
It's not chronological. It's not, well, we were cruising down the road here and now we got new. That's not what it is. Okay. What it means is that there has never been another kind. Okay. It's, uh, it would be kind of in your mind a prototype. There's never been one of these. This one is new. A new creation. All right. This one new man, Paul is telling us, is not the latest. There's never been one like it before. That's what he means by new. That in him, this new man is one and it is peace. This is a brand new. It was a mystery. I told you, if you look at the temple drawing, the outside court is the court of the Gentiles. That wall I shared with you last week, the wall of purity, separated the courtyard of the Gentiles from the courtyard of the Israelites. I shared with you that they wanted to kill Paul because he was hanging out with a guy from Ephesus. And they believed, they accused Paul of taking the Gentile into the temple. And therefore, they wanted Paul dead. There is no precedent ever that Jew and Gentile be one in Christ. That's what it means by new. That's the Paul's message that he's given here. We had the alienation from Christ when we were Gentiles. We were afar. Right now we have the unity that is in Christ. Listen, brothers and sisters, that's the miracle of salvation. I wish we, I I just wish we'd say, wow, you understand? My position in Jesus Christ means that I am absolutely one with every other believer ever. Ever. There's none of us are more important than the other. We are. One, male, female, master, slave, doesn't matter. All one, Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. All one. We are one in the body of Christ. How amazing it is to realize that God has broken down the wall of disunity. It has been obliterated. The enmity was nailed to the cross. Remove the barriers, the fences, all the obstacles, because we are one in Christ. That's why, Paul, I shared with you, one of the amazing things about the Apostle Paul was, we are in Him. In Him. The body of Christ, we are all one. How are we doing with that? Can we live that out? Listen. Do you understand that if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today, okay, do you understand that we have to spend eternity together? Did you you hear what I said? Eternity. I'm not going to say, well, that was 50 years. That's not bad. We can handle 50. No, it's eternity. 
We should be working on that. Don't you think? Why? If we're going to spend eternity together, we might as well get the kinks out now. Listen, because when we are one, guess what? The world knows our God. Because listen to the news. How one are we? Tell me where. Tell me where there's absolute unity. It's not existent. Man can't do it. God already has. When we are fleshing this out, this unity out, that's how the world knows and believes our gospel. There ain't no greater evangelistic tool on the planet. In Christ, we are one with each other. Why? That the world may see. And you know what I've learned? When that happens, it brings a whole different meaning to relationships. Let our love for each other be seen. It's astonishing. Because remember what I said? Love's a verb. It isn't, and flitter in your eyes or whatever. I don't know what they do anymore, but that ain't what it is. It's a verb. It's an action. It's seen. I mean, you, you hear it. I love you. I just don't like you. No, them two don't work. That's not, nah, man. That, that dog there don't hunt. Okay. Or I love you when you're not around. That's all right. I love you when you're not around. So it must be true love. That ain't what it's about. Go look through 1 Corinthians 13. Tell me how you're doing with that. They will know that you are mine by your love for one another. That's out of 1 John. And yet, you know what? I, I shared with you, I told you, I, I do know those grouchy Christians. Okay, I, I, I have to deal with them pretty regularly. All right? Wonderful bunch of people. There are some Christians out there, God bless them, that are nothing but porcupines. Cute as a button. Look how cute you are. Do not pet that thing. Okay? They're all over the place. You just look, look how cute that is. Don't touch it. Stay away from it. Why? It's just it's going to ruin your day. All right? Because I, I get that as a pastor. People come into my office. It's the first thing I want you to know is that I love you, which means I'm about to get drugged through the coals. Okay? But they're going to do it in love. Okay? Which is, that's one of those, I love you, but I just don't like you. Okay? These are the things that we and I have to pay attention to. Why? We are already one in Christ. And we have peace. Okay? We like that. I have 
peace with God. I have the peace of God. And we go, well, bravo, bravo, bravo. Okay? But you also have the peace with the brothers and sisters. And that's where it gets tested. (laughs) Because it's easy to be peace with God. He did it. I'm in. Okay? It's easy at times to have the peace of God. Uh Uh-huh. Try to have peace with the brethren. Because those are the ones that come in and say, I want you to know first and foremost that I love you. (laughs) All right. I'll take it in the top of the head. Okay? That is part of the unity of Christ. You and I have to know these things. So when it comes to holding each other accountable, when it comes to walking hand in hand, when it comes to loving without restraint, when it comes to caring, when it is painful, when it comes to reaching out in a very uncomfortable situation, I have the unity of the brethren. And it ain't because, you know what, well, I get along with these people because they're this, or I get along with these people because they're this, or I get That ain't it. That ain't it. Listen, I tell, I'll close with this. The last thing I'd have ever wanted to be when I grew up was a pastor. I mean, you could take probably the first 452 billion things I wanted to be. Pastor ain't on that list. You know why? I don't like people. You know, and everybody says, I can't believe you just said it. Yeah, that's true. Okay. I am one of the very few people. That, and you can ask people who know me for a long time. He is quite content to just be by himself. He didn't, it doesn't bother him at all. He doesn't lose sleep over it. He doesn't get into a case of loneliness or nothing. He prefers it at times. Okay. That's just who I am. All right. And God says, perfect. You'd be a great pastor. Well, wait a minute. I don't like people. And he says, that's how they'll know you're mine. I still complain about it every once in a while when I'm by myself. <laughs> Lord, I don't like this. But he didn't care. He says, no, no, no. You're, you're right on task. See? Why? Because when you're involved with people all the time, They're watching. Do you really care? I know a lot of people give lip service to it. Oh, I care. I really care. I'm here, ain't I? That's how how I care. Really? I would like to see this church more involved with each other's lives. Some of you are. But this one here... I listen, I got, I got things in common with this person. Reach out to the person you got nothing in common with. Then watch. Then the world will see the love that unites us is the love that the Father had for the Son, that the Son had for the Father. And then they will know our God sent us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the love that surpasses understanding that guards our hearts our minds, that peace that overwhelms our souls, the things that it's just amazing to me when I watch it. Father, I think about the transformation in my life and uh, how I could have never dreamed of it. 
And yet, Father, you're not done with any of us. Father, continue to grow us into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, help us to walk worthy. Help us not to be entangled with the trivial stuff of this world, but help us to love one another as you loved us and died for us. May that be what each of us in this room are known for. Help us, my King. This is beyond our comprehension. This is beyond our abilities. And yet you've already, you will tell us again in Ephesians 3, that he will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can think, ask, or imagine. Wow. To you, my Lord and Savior, in Christ's name. Amen.